A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I am here with my mashing monsters. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. Each week, we look at a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. Though this week, uh, we're approaching Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, so things might end up being a little bit different. Yeah, so Frankenstein doesn't have a very clear hero's journey. Uh, We're going to be discussing both a standard departure like we usually do, and then going into the tragedy um, framework of storytelling. But first, just a quick plot summary if you're not familiar with the story. This book follows Victor Frankenstein, Dr. Victor Frankenstein, through his childhood into his study of natural philosophy or what we would call physiology, and then his creation of the monster, um, who I will be referring to as Adam, as that is the closest thing he takes to a name. After Victor creates Adam, he abandons him, and Adam spends time in the forest and then learning about humanity and learning the, the human language from a small cottage and village. Adam then travels back to meet Victor and confronts him, asking him to create a bride for him that he would take to South America. Victor begins on this task but quickly realizes that this is not something that he wants to do and destroys it, causing Adam to murder all of Victor's family in revenge, and then Victor to chase Adam up to the North Pole, ending in both of their deaths. So starting us off, we're going to dive right into the very heroic departure of, of Victor, because Victor, even though we know from the framing device of this story that things won't end well with him, thinks of himself as a hero. So let's start. Let's at least start off by giving him the benefit of the doubt. Um, sure, let's do that. Uh, I do want to note that I think both Victor and Victor and Adam have very good standard departures, and then, like right after they hit the belly of the whale both of their departures kind of taper off into very different and not Campbell-esque journeys. But let's talk about Victor. So Victor's journey that he initially sets out on is to create a more perfect or improved form of life. Um, His call to adventure would be finding the books by Agrippa and learning the alchemy and pseudoscience set out in Agrippa's work and then the works of his um, successors. For a refusal of the call for Victor, that would be studying mathematics and not the physiology and natural philosophy that he had started studying after finding the book by Agrippa in his childhood. For a mentor for Victor, we can look to M. Walden, one of his professors. Upon meeting M. Walden for the first time, Victor states, thus ended a day memorable to me, 
it decided my future destiny. Walden uh, supports his study of alchemy and encourages him to study his passion rather than the more practical mathematics that he initially started out on at his university. For a crossing of the threshold for Victor, we would have him starting his work and experimenting. Um, the danger is to his health. He talks constantly about hell. His health is uh, adversely affected by his experiment and his dedication to his work. And finally, for a belly of the whale and his journey that he initially set out on to create this more perfect form of life is completing his experiment. Um, in this, he gives a spark of life to a creature, to a creation that he then subsequently dubs the monster, setting us down our more tragic path. But this could have set him down the path of molding Adam, his Adam, into a more pure creature in his mind. So I think my first question with this departure is, do you think that that is right with this chance that he had to nurture Adam as a real sort of father figure to him it would have been a positive journey or did Victor step wrong the moment he got on this path by playing God? Um, right. Was there, was there ever any way that he actually made Adam and didn't fail? From what point of view are we to look at this? I think from the Alex last name omitted <laughs> point of view, I'm curious. <laughs> My I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to end up with anything <clears throat> Right, as we said, anything terribly Campbell-esque, so. Uh, so I think if we're looking at this from the point of view of Mary Shelley and the time she wrote it, it would have been a very religious-motivated point of view, uh, even so far as her references to Milton's Paradise Lost and um, the references to Adam and Eve. So... In that, no. The second that Victor created life, he was a front. Um, he was going against God's will, and he could never succeed. In my mind, I, I think that it could have been a positive journey. It just clearly wasn't. He was too shocked and horrified by what he had created that he couldn't take this into a positive frame. Um, for for Victor and his mindset, I don't think this could ever have been a positive journey. Doesn't the act of creation have its own validity? What do you mean by validity? Like, is it, is it just, are you saying it's a positive because it is creating? Yeah, it, essentially. Um, from the standpoint of Victor and myself, I would say no, creation can be bad. Um, from the religious standpoint that this book is kind of viewed from, you could create sin. Okay. No, I don't think you're wrong, especially from the time period. It's just, I think, a modern reader and the way that our technology has advanced is can definitely view it as a, the outcome was not favorable, but the intent, uh, does not, you know, you can't yeah, I, view the journey from the ending, which is something that we do all the time. But. 
Yeah, I personally think that this creation could have been a positive. Like I said, it just for for Victor, I don't think that was ever a possibility. Then what do you think mm -hmm. of the motivation? What do you think is the um like the turning point? Because obviously he thinks it's a good idea enough to do it. If I could find the chapter. So Jack, I think you're about to say something. Why don't you? Yeah, also just because I think it, it's interesting to get us on record because I think as people that right, as people in the in twenty twenty one rather than when this book was originally conceived and written, right? I feel I feel a lot less morally complex about who the good guy and who the bad guy in this book is, right? I view Victor as much closer to a straight villain and Adam much more as, I mean, uh, he ends up a murderer, but, right, I, I much As opposed to... Yeah. Right, I, I much more agree with his interpretation that the sin of his existence lays at the feet of Victor rather than at his own feet. Well, and I'm curious to see if you got right if that's if that's just me or if that is really more consistent with a right a modern. So reading. I haven't read contemporary reviews, as in uh, reviews of the, the the time period that this was out. But was that something that was hotly debated? Uh, God, I need to find an actual reference. So, uh, people far smarter than us, or people far, far more well, well read on the subject than us, feel free to correct me. But I could have sworn that, uh, well, I can't remember what the exact opinions on Victor were. I know that the dream that incited, uh, Shelley to write this, um, right, stems from viewing the creation that is made as horrifying right she had this image of uh, a scientist right shocking bring something to life with electricity and she was horrified by it which is why it's a monster story as a interesting well that's also because they were bored in reading german ghost stories in a castle trapped in bad weather for an entire summer but that's what'll happen yeah, I personally also view Victor as definitely a villain and Adam as a tragic hero, like we're going to discuss. I think he especially could have set down on a different, better path if he had been nurtured instead of instantly cast out. But he did take a villainous path after um, getting some education. I say education, like just observing other people. Um, talking, but he he was just constantly rejected and it led him down a, a dark path, but he still, you know, willingly chose the dark path, the path of revenge. See, I don't know if we're being... Well, before I say that, um, do we want to go line by line? Because we've been doing a very broad discussion. and I, uh, I, I think if there's anything you want to refute line by line, I'm just not... Okay. I right. I kind of agree with Alex that if we're talking about Victor's failed attempts, I don't see. I don't currently see a problem with any of these as sort of the setup to a story. Right. Victor gets his departure because the rest of his story is about the folly of ever thinking he deserved to be on the quest. All right. Well, then, I worried slightly, at least 
in my own view that my opinions of the characters are molded more by my overexposure to rehashing of this story through modern media than one of our typical, let's say, a Narnia story that while it still has, you know, different TV shows and references and other books and, and movies, I still have a, a f relatively firm grasp on the characters and the setting. Whereas we've seen Frankenstein's monster repeated mostly in, in media uh, as far as TV shows and movies. And I tend to think that modern interpretations gives the monster a lot more redemption than Shelley does herself. And so I don't know if that is coloring my view of the monster more than I'd like. Right. For example, you're probably right. I, I definitely read the monster's final speech to uh, Walton slash at Walton uh, on the on the ship mm -hmm. with quite a lot more sympathy than maybe he deserves. He did kill a lot of people. Yeah. And I it, what was. I think it was Penny Dreadful was the most recent one that I really enjoyed that had Frankenstein's monster in it, which is a very odd British uh, miniseries. And the uh, the creature was very worthy of sympathy. Uh, Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing's Frankenstein is still my uh, childhood favorite interpretation of the character. <laughs> I wouldn't trust 12-year-old me's opinion on much. Um, by the way, from, from uh, much earlier, we had talked about how um, Frankenstein, well, like what went wrong, what made the monster bad in Frankenstein's mind. And I think part of it that Shelley was trying to highlight, or maybe I'm reading too much into this, this is selfishness um, in trying to create this life. He is doing it to the expense of his health and ignoring his friends and family. Um, interesting but also it's like from from rereading if you go to chapter five of volume one of frankenstein he just mostly talks about how ugly the creature is and so that's, that's what scares him so much aesthetically it's unappealing whereas if it had been beautiful perhaps it would have been worthy of uh, praise yes well but what i find so fascinating is that well the Right, that would make sense for Victor internally that he was so obsessed with making something beautiful and that when he finally creates it and deems it ugly that he rejects his own creation. But everyone else's reaction to the monster, to Adam, is much the same. And I find that baffling because no, no depiction based on the descriptions of this book that I've ever seen rendered have made me go, oh yeah, I definitely chased that guy down the street, but then again, modern interpretations, right? Yeah, I think they I definitely humanize his appearance in a way that we don't, you know, even if he's stitched together of parts, it's still rather tastefully done, where I think if we're really trying to pick up the image, you have to think more, I guess, pseudo-zombie, like a like a scob of Inishrod than you do of a um, a person that looks like they've got tattoos. So mm. he would be yellow skin that stretched out, so taunt over his muscles, long black hair, and white teeth, taller uh, than a man, uh, eight feet tall, but proportional 
uh, arms and legs. Lucky. We should just build a bunch of Frankensteins to play basketball. The the more <clears throat> he had watery eyes, it seemed almost the color of done white sockets and black lips. So just like a Simpsons character, he was wearing a black lipstick. Right. Like the first thing that stems to my mind, and maybe it's just because we have been talking about recently, but I sit there and go, you know, that doesn't sound all that different from the description of the Colos blue rather than yellow. Right. But I'm, I'm sure the Colos were at least partially inspired by Frankenstein. Yeah. Not totally just that is you have to imagine that the Colos are something that have been while you're afraid of them and that, but they are definitely part of your world. They exist. Whereas all the characters in this in this book are being exposed to it for the first time, and is that that's what we're seeing? I still find it shocking, like the, this girl who was saved, then just cries because she was saved by a monster. And the the man who encounters her uh, Frankenstein for the first time, like starts beating him because he saved this girl. Like it, some of it doesn't make sense, even if you encounter that. The only thing that would make it make sense is uh if it looked like Adam was not saving, but stealing that child. I'm trying to think of it in a uh, modern sense. Like if I was walking my dog and I came across somebody rescuing somebody and then I got to them and I realized that they were, and then I'm trying to insert something here and I can't insert whatever that realization is that would make me act this way. So I, I, I'm agreeing with you there, but I'm trying to think of something in modernity that is the equivalent. Yeah, I, I would have a hard time with that too. I mean, like if you could conceive of an alien, but I don't know, maybe I'm just more trusting than people would be at that period of time. Well, or do we just think of ourselves, right? Exactly. That I guess is the other question. Yeah. Do we... ourselves, yeah. Yeah, when confronted, right, if, uh, right, let, let, I mean, let's, not not a book we've discussed, but right, right, we'd all, we all imagine that we'd have better reactions to Boo Radley if we were in the world of To Kill a Mockingbird, but history tells us we'd be wrong. Yes, fair. Um, but I think that might be a good uh, point for us to transition over into discussing, focusing on the tragic journey Adam's on rather than dwelling on Victor for now. We Victor's can failed. come back and talk. Well, we can talk more about Victor when we talk about uh, sort of what the return of the book looks like, even if neither of the characters on our journey achieve anything resembling a return. Uh, so in place of our initi initiation, we're going to try something a little bit different this week where we talk about uh, a different form of story structure here focused on Adam's journey, which is an outline for the five states of the tragic hero. Uh, so Alex, you want to lay out where they are and how they fit since it's your four week? Sure, I can, I can definitely do that. Yeah, so for the stages of a tragedy, there are five stages. The first of which is the anticipation stage, where the hero understands that something is missing and they want it. For other characters, this could be power or fame. Uh, but for Adam specifically, this is language and civilization and communication 
and belonging to a community. Um, we could go with community in general is what he is missing and feels like he should be obtaining. In the dream stage, the hero sets out to achieve this MacGuffin, whatever it is that they think they're missing in our anticipation stage. This is the, the no turning back situation that we usually try and discuss in the belly of the whale. Sometimes the hero, well, the uh, character is on their path of evil. Typically, he is on that path of evil and proceeds further down it. For Frankenstein, I don't think he's on the path of evil at this point, but I would say that the, the dream stage is when he is learning from the people of the cottage uh, who are DeLacy, Felix, and Agatha, and he just thinks that he would fit in with their community, and he eventually enters into that and talks to DeLacy, who is blind, trying to fit into this community. The frustration stage is where our character hits the first roadblock. Um, they could be small annoyances, and they usually come with dark acts. So for, uh, for Adam, the small frustrations are being rejected by uh, DeLacy and Felix specifically. And then the dark acts he commits after this happens, uh, Adam decides to look for community with his creator and the dark acts would be his first murder of Victor's brother, William. Can we point out how crazy it is that the Adam manages to pull off a solid frame job real quick? Yeah, well, it was kind of accidental. True, but still, he gets away with it. Yeah, and um, after, like Jack just pointed out, he causes the death of Justine as well. Right, and this, also in this frustration stage, I would say, is forcing Victor to create his ride his last chance of finding a community for himself um, in the nightmare stage this is where everything unravels so the opposing force is closing in and this would be victor uh, victor destroying adam's bride really setting victor setting himself in opposition to adam now even more strongly than he was and causing them to go into the destruction or death wish stage. So Adam goes and destroys all of the, the remainder of Victor's family, including his new wife, Elizabeth, his father, his remaining brothers, and then flees to the North, causing Victor to chase after him. Uh, ultimately, this leads to Victor's death as he is ill and weak from his travels. And then we have the monster, Adam, declaring to Walton that he is now going to go and build his funeral pyre at the North Pole. So I think we can easily see how Adam falls into all of these stages. So I think what jumps out to me is immediately interesting is that with this idea of the destruction death, which death, death wish stage that we've talked about, is that right there's a line uh talking about how this is often accompanied by rejoicing and when we think about classic examples like Macbeth, when once Macbeth is dead uh right everyone the world is a better place for it and yet with the passing of both victor and the monster back to back our only point of view character walton the ship captain right the world is still a darker place 
for he has also failed in his own journey that we don't care about as much. But I just think it's interesting that this is much closer to, for me to Hamlet where it ends and everything is still kind of miserable and cold rather than better for the passing of both of our monsters. Well, I think you're viewing it very specifically in the fact that none of our point of view characters say the world is better, but at the same time, we can just intrinsically say that the world is better because now Adam isn't out murdering people and Victor isn't creating more uh, monsters, right? I also don't think, I don't think Adam would have murdered any more people anyway. Interesting. Okay, you think it's only because his relations to Victor? I think he was just out of revenge, unless he was directly threatened and killing in self-defense, which typically we don't refer to as murder. I don't think he would have killed someone again. But I do also think that DeLacy, Felix, and Agatha all definitely think that the world is better off with Frankenstein, with, excuse me, with Adam now dead and anyone else that he met um felix's wife whose name is escaping me the villagers that he met when he was first created before he learned language they would all think that the world is better off without adam in it but do you uh personally i it it doesn't affect me like him being alive and trying to isolate himself from man isn't functionally different than him being dead, so I don't have interesting. Anything. So I, this is I think the differentiator for me. Had Adam been killed and or captured and or Captain America in the bottom of the Northern Sea unwillingly this would have been firmly in the let the world rejoice for evil is gone. But the fact that he self-imposes this upon himself makes it a sort of martyrdom that I think takes away from the idea that he needed to be gone in the first place. So you do think his decision to isolate and or kill himself is inherently redeeming? Yes. I want to propose something. If Victor had created the Bride of Frankenstein, the Whatever the the let's call her Eve, thing. shall we? Call her what? Call her Eve, shall right. we? Let's say let's say Victor had created Eve. Then would the death of Adam have been a more joyful occasion for humanity? In my mind, yes, because I see Adam and Eve as direct competitors with humanity um, and superior to them, as we see. Victor, like, can't even shoot Adam with a gun at point blank range for some reason. He's just too fast. So, <laughs> and they were antagonistic. Obviously, the humans of this time couldn't deal with whatever race was created, whatever species was created from Adam and Eve. So, I think if Eve had been alive, then the death of Adam would have been more rejoicing for humanity. Hey, see, I disagree. 
I think that I mean mostly because you need a population of ten thousand to create a stable breeding group from. But and we're not even sure that they could breed. So that's a good point too. I uh, in my discussion, I was assuming that they could. Yeah, I think it's just like inherent that oh, he now has companionship and can you know eke out a semblance of joy while not necessarily intimidating mankind as a species. Uh, also, right, like, all Frankenstein would have to have done is not put in a uterus and functional revived, revivified eggs. Like, I'm pretty sure the monsters weren't breeding. I think Frankenstein might just hate what he created so much that he didn't want it to have a moment of happiness. Yeah, Frankenstein's a bad dude. Well, okay, think about it. Think about it this way, too. He very much views the monster as a failed experiment. But when it's reintroduced to his life, right, and it comes with the, the, the first, you know, the murder of his family, is he supposed to kind of just let that go? It, it doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing to kind of get hung up on. What picture getting hung up on the fact that the monster killed his family? Yes. Yeah, no, not that's not unreasonable at all. Yeah, I so I, I, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of culpability that Victor has from the beginning, but I, I think that there's a certain point in the story in which the blame shifts, where where the onus is on Adam to be forgiving as opposed to Victor to be, right? Victor transitions to become the victim. That doesn't mean he's, that doesn't mean he's not responsible for what happened in the beginning, but it's not like he's the one going out murdering people. He's just not providing the person who is murdering what they want. Right, but in a cycle of vengeance, <laughs> right, it's up to which is what this descends into, right? It's up to whoever's turn it is to, who's currently seeking revenge to be able to instead look for repentance from the person that they are hoping to torture instead, right? And so who Victor, right now? Victor never once shows remorse for what he did in, or sorry, he shows remorse for Adam's creation, but not for Adam's abandonment. And he shows zero remorse for destroying Adam's mate. Adam, at least in the end, seems to realize that Perhaps murdering everyone Victor ever loved was uh, just a little bit farther than he needed to go. We can see that, like, back and forth. Revenge. Um, Adam kills William in revenge for Victor abandoning him. Then Victor, he could have taken that path of forgiveness. And he, all, he like, starts down it by creating Eve. And then he's like, nah, don't want to do that. Destroys Eve. And then Adam, again, this is his turn to not take revenge. And he goes, like, scorched earth with his revenge at that point. So I don't, I don't have a lot of credit for Adam after Victor is dying, saying, uh, you know, that wasn't the best plan. Now that everyone's dead, I have realized the error of my ways. Yes, it's, it seems disingenuous at that point after killing friend, father, wife, brother, sister, like, and, and Victor himself, like, 
<laughs> he doesn't kill. Victor dies of hypothermia. Okay. Thank you very much. Let me let me provide. Well, first of all, I want to ask that question. Would this? Would we have enjoyed a story in which Adam kills Victor more, or is it, is there an inherent not to kill one's creator message that Shelley is writing in, underlying even more so than blatantly stating? I mean, like. Personally, I think it'd be very enjoyable to watch Adam kill not anyone else and just no, murder. No, I'm not even talking about in exclusion of the other murders. I'm talking about as the culmination of the murders. It, it wouldn't have left any room for this small redemption that Jack is deciding he's bigger. Um, I think it's, le- I, I agree with Alex. I think it's less interesting yeah. if, if Victor died. Well, Especially because although we've taken a step back from Victor's journey, for lack of a better words, uh, right, Victor throughout exists as this cautionary tale. And at least for me, I think the caution of Victor's story is actually would be undermined if Adam had killed him. Because I think all of Victor's actions can be traced back to right, either his hubris at playing God or his inability to set aside his own desires for greatness, right? And separating that from the desires of those around him to have an enjoyable life instead. And that it's in his continual pursuit of Adam that he loses everything, eventually even his own life, but not, not at the hands of what he's done, but as a consequence of being unable to let go of what he's done. Well, okay, hey, now, let's not vilify the pursuit of greatness at the extent of all costs. Uh, I think we should explicitly do that right now. I I think in a book that's called The Modern Prometheus, uh, (laughs) the author is at least certainly trying to not necessarily vilify, but complicate, because it it's hard, it's hard with the way that we almost, right, Shelley almost kind of fetishizes parts of early scientific process to say that Victor is meant to be without merit, right? He's just meant to cross a line somewhere. Okay, but I find that modern Prometheus tag particularly interesting, mainly because we all know the story of Prometheus. He stole fire from the gods, gave it to man, and has been punished by Zeus to have his liver eaten by an eagle every day. But in the story of Prometheus, Prometheus is the good guy. Mm, not when the Greeks tell it. Yeah, but the Greeks were biased because they thought the gods were the best thing ever, right? Right, the Shelley and the Romantics, the group that right, the contemporary group of artists that she was a part of, right, they clearly view Prometheus as a good guy. And yet, of our two main characters, Victor, at least to me, seems to be the more Victor is easy. Yeah, he's the analog to Prometheus. And I certainly don't find Victor to be a good guy. I definitely think that I would much rather root for Prometheus, but especially in the Greeks version of the stories, the things that Prometheus right, the gifts that Prometheus gives humanity aren't for humanity's sake, they're for 
Prometheus is vanity. Yes. And to the detriment of, of the other gods, but well, and to the detriment of humans, right? I mean, Prometheus grants us these gifts and in exchange, we are punished. Yes. All of that punishment, we don't have the opportunity for advancement. Like without these gifts, mankind wasn't going to eke its way out of the caves. So I think for the purposes of podcasting, this is a decent time to switch over to what we would normally consider our talk of the return. In a, in a hypothetical return, does Adam going into, let's say, nature in a less... Alex? I, I agree. And there's... Um, for both of our characters, there are quotes that I want to talk about. For Adam, it's as he's abandoning the world to go into the north, he says, but now crime has degraded me beneath the meanest animal. No guilt, no mischief, no uh, malignity, no misery can be found comparable to mine. Is this his acceptance of his crimes and him taking a freedom to live, saying, like, I have done this, now I must go die. And I think we've kind of addressed how the North represents that, the unexplored and the hostility of that environment. Or is this something else in your minds? No, I, I, to me, I think that's his, I mean, much more classically Campbell, right? It's freedom from the fear of death. He's embraced, right? He... He's embraced both that his, that his, or not both, he's embraced that his actions are unforgivable and therefore acts as his own judge, jury, and executioner and finds himself wanting. I, right. I think that those are all good things. I think that this line about beyond the depths of nature is particularly interesting. And I meant to bring it up at the beginning, but I got sidetracked because I think and maybe it did happen and I've forgotten a particular instance. Do we get any natural reactions to Adam, not from humanity, but from uh, animals? Yeah. Not that I can recall. Like a wolf or a bird or... Because I think... No, we don't know if nature itself rejects these monsters. That's what I really wanted i think out of the story and i and i looked for it when i was reading it once i kind of figured out what i wanted to see because i think that would have been telling and maybe she left it out intentionally but i think if nature itself found him to be of the other that it would have been very difficult for him on any level to um to have a a decent existence yeah, the only only thing that I can recall about him and interacting with nature is that he can basically live off of a small diet of nuts, roots, and berries. I don't think he eats meat very often, if at all. I, I, I have to agree with you. I don't know whether it was intentional on Shelley's part, but it definitely definitely leaves a more interesting thing for us to discuss centuries later. There's a scene where he goes to pet the deer, the bunnies, if he's lennying uh, from of mice and men, right? We have, if not our own interpretation, a much more distinct version of author's intent. And while we clearly view the story differently than the people of its time, I, 
I like the fact that perhaps a hundred years from now that that discussion will still be part of what's interesting of whether or not he right could have whether or not he was part of nature. If he is vegetarian, I think now we would see that as more in tune with nature than if he was a carnivore. But I don't know if at the time I would think that they wouldn't view that as more in tune with nature. They could have viewed well, it of not being in nature because yes. he should be. Yes. Well, and they'd like to, the decreased caloric intake required, right? Whether intended that way immediately jumps to mind that that means that something unnatural is sustaining him in his energies, right? Who knows if that's what, what is intended, but what I, what I think is interesting from my immediate gut reaction as uh, an Adam sympathizer here clearly is that even if he was rejected by nature, I don't know if that would make me dislike him more. I think that would make me dislike Shelley and nature itself in this world more. That made, right, I don't think nature has the right to reject Adam, which is a hilarious thing to say about nature. Um, I don't think it would have made me dislike Adam more, but it would have made me compelled that he could not continue his existence, right? If if he had been accepted by nature, he could have found a world outside of man in the in the far flung reaches and lived a isolated but fulfilling undead life. Uh, but if nature had rejected him, then I would have seen what how his how he ends to be the only way the story could have ended. All right, can we uh, talk about Victor's and I think his more of a fail at our freedom to live? So, yeah, I mean, I think we've already said that Victor inherently dooms himself in his pursuit of the monster, stripping him of that, but- Yeah, he uh, just explicitly lays that out. He said, but such is not my destiny. I must pursue and destroy the being to whom I gave existence. Then my lot on earth will be fulfilled and I may die. But he dies before the monster. So if, if he had died after the monster, I would say that he had a little bit of freedom to live there for, for a couple seconds. Mm. Well, I think even if he had outlived his creation, right, we see in in the framing story around, around uh, Victor's tale that he understands that he should be a cautionary tale Right, he starts off by telling Walton that he's only sharing this story with another like-minded adventurer of the unknown to try and help him in the future from making falling right folly to Victor the same things Victor did. And then when they're trapped in the ice and the men of the ship want to turn around home, Victor immediately forgets everything he's been trying to make. Yeah, in part, and it falls victim once again to his same pattern. So I think even with a freedom to live, right, Victor never masters one world, let alone two. And I think that kind of stops him from ever being at peace enough to find freedom. What would you have liked to have seen him? How would you like to have seen him act then? So if we... If we go as far as, um, right, if the wedding night still happens the same, right, for a mastery of two worlds, right, Victor, Victor, when confronted with a 
a chance to pursue the monster as he's riding further into the north, likely to his death, choosing to turn around with the ship rather than deciding that come hell or high water, he will die hunting Adam. Right. All, all it takes is Victor deciding that it wasn't worth it or that, right, that perhaps there's a better way of things. He would have was it right he's still offered in my mind moments for redemption himself up until the very see, end and refuses each and every one of them see i think his last moment of redemption holistic redemption that he could really realistically achieve a master of two worlds as we've defined it is to create eve and in doing so give adam purpose such that the two can live outside of his own sphere of influence and have their own and trust that what they're going to do is, you know, not his responsibility anymore. So he's atoning for his sins in the creation while also not further wrapping himself in. And once he's chosen to destroy Eve, everything that follows afterward, he doesn't have the ability to claw that mastery back because I think the mastery of the two worlds that we're talking about here is the mastery of like the self and the and the way that he views the world, and then I think there's a certain level of scientific mastery is what I view to be the the second world. But maybe I'm I'm applying mastery of self and mastery of creation. That's what I thought you were trying to lay out there. Yeah, I guess that's better than science. But yeah, proving that he can make what he wants when he wants how he wants it, while still understanding within himself that he doesn't have to be culpable for its continued existence. And I think he loses that. He never takes responsibility in the first place, which means he never gains the ability to wash his hands of it. Because you have to take responsibility first before you can, right, send something out into the world and say that you've done your best. Yeah, which is what I thought the creation of Eve could do for him. mm -hmm. I understand I messed you up. Here's your new wife. Go and be happy, but I'm done with you. Yes. So is it so if he had still dismembered Eve, but Adam had decided to not murder Elizabeth, do we think Frankenstein Victor would ever have achieved some sort of happiness, or is it with the destruction of Eve, regardless of Adam's Adam's response that Victor has sealed his own fate one way or another. I think Victor would have had to live in constant fear and paranoia and not been able to achieve happiness because of that constant fear and paranoia if after destroying Eve, even if Elizabeth isn't killed. I would have hoped that Elizabeth would have left his sorry ass. Do we think that there are any other important steps in the return that our characters should have pursued? Or, well, Victor, we already kind of hinted on this. Yeah. Victor has a crossing of the return threshold and telling his story to Walton, his cautionary tale of uh, hubris and exploring the unknown when you shouldn't. Uh, he, he does go against that in the end, but Walton learns it well enough. Okay, well, let me ask you a little bit about the inclusion of Walton and the ship's crew. Does the addition of characters who are aware of the situation without being negatively impacted in it by it, for example, being murdered by the monster, 
uh, change this story at all for you guys, as opposed to, um, you know, Victor setting out on his own and Adam, or, you know, to, to get Victor, sorry, Victor setting out on his own to get Adam without aid and them dying together on the ice flows, regardless of anyone knowing their tale. Is the lesson supposed to make this story worth telling because we can learn something from it? Or is it not supposed to be taken that far? So for me, and very few actual criticisms to throw at Shelley, but I feel as if the book stops about a page and a half before it should, because it ends with the monster's words in what is a frame narrative in the form of journals and letters. And we don't, we don't get Walton's response really to his final, to his meeting with Adam. And I think that ultimately undercuts the idea of Walton as a true third character rather than the sort of framing device and reflection of Victor that he ends up being rather than a person in his own right. You would have liked to have seen, and so I learned this and lived forever my days. Hey, I'm something. I personally think that his decision to, stating his decision to return, uh, like go south, is him learning the lesson. I'm, I don't. I don't need him to explicitly state like, and I learned this lesson from Victor's tale. No, but he's there. writing a letter. And the, what, could you imagine that if you were receiving a letter from your brother who's in Russia and it just stops midway through him telling you that a demon was giving a soliloquy and that he didn't sign anything and just sent it? Okay. I don't need so, him to explicitly you tell me. signature. I'll be returning to you soon. Best wishes, Walter. Just some reflection, right? If the decision to not pursue to not continue on his mission came after the meeting with Adam, right? That would make sense to me. But in order to get Victor's responses to it, we have to have that happen first. And I think I would have preferred the orders changed with Victor still dying unsure of whether they were turning around or not. And ultimately it being this conversation with Adam that is the final thing that convinces Walton that perhaps truly, right, doing... <laughs> that Victor's path is the wrong. Interesting. I don't have a problem with that because I think I would have also enjoyed that. Um, I would have actually preferred some sort of... I would have preferred following Adam more in the end for a longer period of time than I would have needed Walter's revelations. I enjoy the story with the ending it has. I think that it sets up the lesson well enough and the monster's speech at the end and Adam's speech at the end, excuse me, why do I keep doing this, is uh, a good way to end the book say, stating that he has regret for seeking this path of revenge. So we have the, both of those lessons, the selfishness from Victor and the revenge from the monster. <laughs> So it's been a bit of a different style of format, but 
at least for me, I think it's a much more interesting experience than watching us try and cram the only three to four points that any of our heroes in the story would get. Uh, but you should always reach out and let us know your responses. Are you interested in watching us do more off-brand, off-beat exploration of stories like this? Or are you more of a fan of when we dig hard into fantasy and its tropes? You can reach out to us on Twitter at a underscore heroes underscore journey or on Facebook at a hero's journey pod. I know personally that I haven't read Frankenstein in a very long time. And I definitely due to, as Zach said, all the different modern interpretations of it completely forgot how the actual book goes. Um, and so it was refreshing to come back and find that I think I thought about these characters quite a bit differently than I did when I was 16 and watching the play for the first time. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading this again. Um, it, it, it's been a while, probably since I was in high school or early college since I read this. And there are some parts that I remembered very vividly and there are some that I was surprised at so if you haven't read it in a while, I would recommend going back and rereading it. And for me, and the hero's journey specifically, I had a really easy time coming up with departures for both of the characters. But then after that, I, I struggled. Things started falling apart. Um, so this was much more enjoyable for me to, to study a different literary set of literary tropes than we usually do. It's always fun for me to do Hero's Journey stuff, but this was equally enjoyable. So I had never read uh, Frankenstein previously. Uh, it wasn't part. What? Yeah, it wasn't part of my. I read, uh, I think, Dracula in its pseudo place in high school from, uh. from an analysis point of view in English class. Um, mm -hmm. We read Dracula instead, if one were to compare the two, I guess. So I hadn't actually read this classic, and it's. Interesting, because I've read a lot of classical literature over the years, ranging from Sherlock to Dracula to Father Brown, for, if you want to try to keep things in a similar time period. And I think Shelley's writing style was nice because it shared common elements with the time period, but you could also tell what she was grasping for. And that I think that grasping makes it slightly more relevant you know its relations to science and you know perhaps brings it more into a modern analysis than dracula for example while you know we can discuss some really good things about human nature we lose some of that advancement of man talk um, and i think that was enjoyable thank you so much for joining us as always i've been your host and judge jack this is alex and i'm zach Come back next week when we're going to be diving back into the world of the Old Kingdom with Aberhorsen by Garth Nix with a little bit of the end of Lariel stretched on. Yay! Oh, thank you. I don't know, guys. He's in the Arctic, and as we all know, revenge is a dish best served cold. Boo! <laughs>